0: Hello, Titan family. I'm Matt Olson, and while this is our fifth episode of Fram and Friends, it is the first time we have taken our show on the road, and we are excited to get into it. On that note, here to introduce our next guest is your host and president, Fram Virgie. Well, good, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, glad to be here at the Chancellor's office, talking uh, with uh, Chancellor Tim White, someone who is. Uh, known to uh, virtually everybody in the CSU, uh, but also someone who I uh, like to think of as a close friend and mentor. And um, I was thinking about this, Tim, I can't believe we've known each other for seven years now. It feels, sometimes it feels like seven months, sometimes it feels like 70 years. Yeah, you didn't uh, have gray hair when I first met you. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So, Tim, today what I would just like to do is just have a conversation. Um, uh, just two of us guys, you know, the first time we met, we we did this over dinner and a, a bottle of wine and um, yeah. it's been a, a great memory for me ever since. And so we had, we talked about the meaning of life in many ways that, that evening and that's what drew me here to the CSU? So, uh, folks, if you uh, if you uh, like that fact, I made a great decision. If you don't like that fact, blame Tim. Yeah, it was not a good bottle of wine, apparently.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to to join you, uh, Fram. Thanks for the invitation. And you know, I always in this room. There's a, a variety of lapel pins that have a big F on it. and I thought it stood for Fullerton, but apparently it stands for Fram and Friends. So That's you've right. already branded these. Uh, 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 podcasts in a very important way. You know, it's, it's interesting, the notion of life and what that is. I mean, you know, as a biologist, I can speak about cardiovascular function and cell function and cell motility and, you know, the role of genetics and environment and all that stuff and how we develop. Uh, as uh, as mammals as humans. But I've also come to appreciate how uh, education, and in our case, higher education, but we're just part of a continuum, actually helps the emergence of the human, and then you can fill in a variety of words: the human spirit, the human soul, the human mind, the human potential, the human promise, um,
0: all those th- all those things that make us human
1: all yes and and when and how we are part of a an environment in higher education that um, gives people from every walk of life regardless of the headwinds that have held them down or the hard stories or the silver spoons they were born within their mouth everybody has a potential and how is it as a society and, and our role as educators and researchers within society, how can we help emerge the very best version of every, every human that we are able to touch or to learn from? Even if we can't touch them, can we learn from, from others around the world in, in order for us to become better? And I think so the, the meaning of life is uh, perhaps a life of meaning. I love that.
0: So that's a great uh, segue into asking uh, a question uh, that I, uh, of my friends and soulmates in my life that I always want to know, and that is, what's your moral compass? What, uh, what are the foundational principles or pillars that drive you, um, that uh, uh, cabin you sometimes, that allow you to express yourselves? And uh, I'd love to know from you what you think yours are, Jim.
1: Yeah, that's a tough question, Fram, um, only because I don't know if I have a a single North Star. Um, So in a more lighthearted way, I would say when you screw up, try and make it a small screw up rather than a large one. Um, But if you try and do something big and bold and courageous, whether it's in your personal life or uh, in your professional life, is try, what I've done, is to have a principled reason as to why that effort, that risk, um, that um, at first lack of acceptance uh, by by others around you, um, is, it, is that hill worth the fight? And if so, what is the principle that drives that? And so again, in the context of the California State University, this most remarkable university really in the world, um, some of the Policy changes that, that have occurred uh, during my time here you know, have not come without controversy, sure. but they've been focused on the singular issue of helping our students uh, perform at the highest level and to achieve their degree sooner rather than later. Not rushed, not a watered down effort, not a lowering of standards, but rather a student achievement at the highest level. And, and so for me, as I make decisions in, in this office, it really always comes down to one question. Will this enhance the student learning and discovery experience or not? The answer is yes, then let's work on it. If the answer is no, then we probably can just let it go. Um, So is that the North Star? Uh, It it sort of is professionally, but I think maybe at even a larger level is um, a sense of, I've never found myself thinking about being a leader or in a leadership position. I've thought about myself really as an enabler, somebody who could get the right who's together to make something important happen for others, Um, somebody who could call nonsense when there's nonsense but also say it's a brilliant idea, let's try and develop it and make it better with more people touching it. But it's always been about, for me, uh, the notion of leadership really is a notion about serving and serving the needs of others and putting self way back in that equation and and I try and do that in my personal life as well as in my professional life. Um, you know it, so with that then comes a, a level of humility and humbleness and sometimes you kind of go boy I wish I I wish people knew what I did on that one but I'm mostly happy that it got done and and that's a that's an interesting place to be uh, in the arc of life to not care about who gets the attention but rather care about what happens to help others become better.
0: Well, I will, I will tell you from someone who has watched you lead, uh, you may not think of yourself as a leader, but you are a very special leader. And from someone who's watched you lead, uh, there are some things that I have observed and learned over the time that uh, I'll tell you, uh, speak back to you about and wonder if they resonate. Um, you are a very principled leader. Um, you do not ask of anybody else anything that you would not do yourself. Um, and you live the very principles that you lead by. Uh, you are a thoughtful and careful leader, not a cautious leader. Uh, because um, uh, to be bold and to be vibrant in the way that you lead, and and you are both, you can't be cautious, but you are careful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you always say that... Uh, you worry about what's best for students um, and what's best for um, the university. But I think you are always looking for um, collaboration and consensus around it so that we all have ownership and investment in where we're going. And the last thing I'll tell you is you lead with love. Hmm. Um, uh, That's not necessarily a word that uh, – old men like us like to use so often. Well, but You could t- talk about old, but just leave me out of that. Yeah. Occasion,
1: right?
0: <laughs> well, we well, we should use it more often because um, that is exactly where you lead from. You lead from your heart. Uh, and so I, I want to make sure that you know uh, not only that I see those things, but everybody sees
1: those things, which is why we follow. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, those words do resonate with me and they're, and they're, uh, Nice to hear, and 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 humbling to hear. Uh, maybe another interpretation is um, the notion of of leadership that I do have is I'm smart enough to know that I don't know a lot of stuff, but I do know what issues are, and I do can, can recognize talent in in faculty and in staff and in senior leaders and in students. Is so if you have those. You can bring together people who have talent, maybe not developed yet, but have talent around things that really matter to advance the institution and advance society. And then ask enough questions that then smarter minds can take over and, as you point out, own the outcome, but perhaps of equal importance, maybe even more importance, is touch it enough times with different points of view to make it stronger, better, more resilient for the longer run for the diversity of which California
0: The additive nature of everything.
1: The additive and the almost symbiotic uh, uh, aspects, uh, which is different than coming in as a a person with a big title saying, I think we need to do X, what do you all think? And it gets some little tweaks around the side, but rather come at it saying, you know, we're having an issue getting our students to, to we have too many students not making degree and then, you know, for financial or other reasons, not finishing what are the variety of ways we can go about solving that problem? Do you come at it as an issue to help others? And then the solution becomes known. And I've been around others over my long career in in a variety of states in higher education where a leader with a big fancy title comes in and says, here's the solution. And people look around the room and say, well, I'm not exactly sure yet what the problem is. Right. Um, and, And so, uh, Perhaps that's the clairvoyance of being effective in jobs like I'm privileged to have and you're privileged to have at Fullerton is the clairvoyance to know what isn't working and how do we get good minds to help shape a solution that may not be perfect. And I think that's one of the things in higher education we sometimes get pulled into is deliberation over such a long period of time looking for perfect when you know getting 90% on the first shot at it could be shorter and actually make a difference for hundreds if not thousands of students um, so we have to be cautious enough deliberation, but also the courage to act when it's when we think we're more than roughly right and directionally correct.
0: Yeah, I had a mentor Warren Christopher who used to tell me, "Navel gazing only goes so far." <laughs> you know that introspection only goes so
1: far. Well, I don't know the president of Cal Maritime probably thinks navel gazing is an important <laughs> technique for right. Cal Maritime students, but uh, I get the point.
0: So you you um, you uh, perfect. Uh, way to set up the the next question, which is, um, I think I know most of the answer to, but I know the people who are listening to this podcast don't know. Uh, And that is the long and winding road that you took to get to the chancellor's office. Everybody knows you as Chancellor White, as Tim White, the chancellor of the CSU. Um, Some go back far enough to remember that uh, you were at uh, chancellor at UC Riverside, but it was, it was a long road, and um, people ask me, how do you become a president? I'm sure many people ask, how do you get to be a chancellor? So what was the road, Tim? How did you get here?
1: Well, you know, first, of course, the, the fact that my my mom and dad met each other and, and uh, decided to have uh, a couple of kids mm-hmm. is probably the first thing I should always remember. Um, th- that was in Argentina, and... They had the courage uh, in the uh, 1950s to, to flee the government in from Argentina and to, to, to head to the northern hemisphere uh, with an intent to come to the United States. There were some difficulties staying here at first, so we went to Calgary for a while, five years, almost five and a half years, as I recall. And ultimately got sponsored by a family in northern California where we moved in um uh, with a family of, of three uh, daughters and a mom and dad, and, and myself, my brother, my mom and dad, and my mom's dad uh, in a three bedroom house. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the, you know, what a, what a gift that was. Um, and uh, uh, from that, my didn't see much of my father because he sort of gumshoed looking for a job up in the Bay Area, and uh, finally found one at Hexel Corporation over in in Berkeley, which at that time was simply an aluminum uh, manufacturing company that made the honeycomb that goes in the airplane wings. They've since that time skis and orthotics and all kinds of stuff Hexel does. But my dad uh, got a a fairly low-level job there, enabled us to move out and rent a home, and then ultimately buy a home in the East Bay uh, of Northern California. And... um, and so went off to school and uh, because of, I don't know what, maybe my birth date and maybe something, I went into the schools here and I skipped third grade. I was young uh, uh, chronologically and, and physically, but I got advanced and, and missed a grade. And fast forward to high school, I was always uh, trying to assimilate into, I wanted to be a California kid. And so I worked hard to get rid of my accent. I uh, wanted to learn how to play football and baseball and things that, you know, we didn't know what Thanksgiving was. We'd never celebrated it in American things. And so it turns out all these guys I wanted to be just like, we're going to go off to uh, college somewhere. So I told my folks that. And uh, they said, well, honey, that's, you know, for, that's for others to do. In this family, you get your high school degree, then you get a job and uh, and make a good living. And so I persisted. And, and long story short, I ended up going to a community college, then junior college, um, uh, Diable, Diable Valley up in Pleasant Hill. And then uh, from that, I got an athletic scholarship, uh, and I went to Fresno as a sophomore on a, a water polo scholarship, which wasn't a lot of money, but the idea of having a scholarship was like an eye-opening, pretty cool thing to do. Um, I'll never forget my parents. Um, you know, my mom and dad were... Strong individuals, as you can tell. Um, they valued education, but they weren't educated themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we drove down to Fresno in my, my Volkswagen and their car. And uh, I got there early to, to do water polo practice and stayed at a Motel 6, which then probably cost 6 bucks a night, to <laughs> tell you the That's truth, right. in 1967. And it's the first time I recall seeing my mother with tears in her eyes. And, uh, and my dad and her got in the car and they backed out of the parking lot to head back, uh, you know, about a three hour drive back to their home. My dad stopped and he pulled up and he pulled five bucks out of his wallet and stuck it in my pocket. And he said, you know, just in case, and he had tears in his eyes and that moment, you know, I can recall as if it was this morning because it was a, a, a an exclamation point about, their journey to create opportunity for me to now do something that they never even thought I should do. but then they started realizing that I had potential that um, this experience would help develop. So went through my undergraduate time at Fresno, and then i I was interested in coaching, uh, aquatics and being a high school teacher. And uh, so then I decided I needed a master's degree so I could do that at a community college job. And I got into the master's program and I decided, you know, I actually wanted to do this at a higher level. What does it take to get a job at a university? And they said, well, you need a doctoral degree. Mm-hmm. And so I discovered those were offered at Berkeley, so I applied. And by then I had become a pretty good student um, and uh, was actually denied admission the first time in Um and I went back and I said, how come? I have a 4.0 in my Master of Science degree. And, well, you didn't meet some deadlines. And so it's an sort of early experience with bureaucracy. Um, and you know, I persisted, got in, finished my PhD. I got a postdoc at the University of Michigan in the medical school in physiology, learned how to do science. I gave up my coaching career. Right. I actually coached uh, with Pete Catino. If those who know water polo know that name, just
0: about the most famous coach there is. Yeah,
1: and uh, we actually won the NC two A's three years in a row when I was a, the assistant coach right here in Long Beach at the then brand new Belmont Plaza Pool um, in seventy two, seventy three, and seventy four. But I gave up coaching and went uh, uh, got involved in science and in biomedicine, and then ran my career at Michigan from. Uh, uh, assistant professor through full professor, department chair, and then Berkeley uh, invited me back uh, actually twice in my career. Uh, once I said no, and then the second time my parents were getting to be older and the idea of going back to Cal as a full professor and department chair was appealing. So I did that, and, and that was a really good experience. But then I got this leadership bug, and uh, uh, I moved to, left Berkeley uh, and became a dean of health and human sciences at Oregon State and provost after a national search and an interim president there during a transition. I knew when I made that decision um, that I would be uh, leaving uh, Oregon. And so I accepted the presidency of the University of Idaho. And then the University of California invited me back again to apply for the chancellorship at Riverside. And uh, I thought, gosh, you know, if I could give back to the UC the way it too helped me develop, what a treat that would be. So I I was offered that position, and I thought I would finish my career, actually, at Riverside. Um, but I was also uh, among the ten chancellors. It was kind of fun to to see. I mean, a lot of them are Nobel laureates and, you know, MacArthur fellows, and then there's Tim, you know, just uh, doing what I do. you such, <laughs> such a slouch. But, um, and such a slouch. And when CSU, uh, somebody nominated me for CSU, so they called me. And my initial answers were no, and then the second answer was no, I really like the the excitement of a campus. Um, And then I, I got reflective a little bit, and I said, you know, a lot of my parents and different things happening, but Cal State University lifted and launched me at a really critical time in my life. And what an amazing opportunity, the idea of maybe giving back. And if I've learned anything in that long journey of trying to prove myself, always feeling like an outsider looking in because I came from an atypical background, an atypical field of study, um, no expectations that I could ever succeed. So there's always that extra effort to say, you know, I actually can can do stuff. Um, If I could have any of that rub off and help our faculty and staff and campus leaders and students and trustees uh, serve the California's future better. What there couldn't be a a bigger gift uh, at this point in my life to give back. And so like I was kidding around earlier at the front end, you know, if I screw up, I hope it's a small one, but if it's something that makes sense that it affects literally hundreds of thousands of students and tens of thousands of employees, um, that is very, very gratifying. And, uh, uh, and when I think of that journey, that uh, many probably see me and think I was born with a suit coat and a tie on. Um, but I, you know, I came from my story, I guess is another way of saying this, Fram, is that uh, my story, I believe, is very much like many of our students and our employees' stories. The facts are different. But the, the story is the same. Yep. First, family, immigrant, low income, didn't know what they wanted to do, got hooked up with an interesting place, and all of a sudden started realizing there was more to life than you ever knew. So it ties back into the meaning of life, is how does education create that emergence of the human being in, in all of its uh, dimensions? Um, and that's what this public higher education in the state of California did for me. And so, you know, darn it. I need to give back. You know, so I am.
0: So, you know, we had this conversation the first time we sat at that Italian restaurant in San Pedro, drinking those glasses of wine and talking about where we came from and what we did. And the parallels for me of our lives were uncanny. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm an immigrant first Mm -hmm. in my family to go to college Uh, came to this country and needed to assimilate, just as you described, Uh, worked my way up through public school the whole way. And as you know, when we met, I was at a crossroads in my life where Mm -hmm. I was uh, finishing up my legal career and deciding to go off to Rwanda and do my own thing and give back and make a change. And uh, you uh, introduced me to the CSU, and uh, it seduced me mightily. Uh, but as I am very fond of telling people, I told you, I did not want this job. I was not interested in the job. Uh, I did tired of being a lawyer, running away from being a lawyer. And you said, well, you can have help with leadership. You can help in, uh, uh, navigating this place and building and collaborating And then the capper was when you said to me, look, you've been sucking it out of California for 30 (laughs) years. It's time for you to give back to California before you go off to Rwanda.
1: And here I am. Well, I'm gentle, but I'm also clear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it it is. uh, And and for our two stories, there's, you know, among our 480,000 plus students, there's, you know, 300,000 stories that are comparable out there
0: and as and i love that you said and our employees as well because all our employees have these same stories
1: yeah
0: so um uh what's your favorite book
1: (laughs) my favorite book Hmm. you know i it's really an interesting question for him. Uh, it depends. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You should have been a lawyer. Yeah, I should have been a lawyer. Um, uh, I I like, I, I'll answer in genre rather than in title. Sure. I, I like to read uh, like Shackleton. I mean, I like uh, things that may not be 100% factual, but have enough directionally correct and factual basis to them. But where individuals or communities or some entity has taken on a gigantic issue, either by choice or by necessity, and have had a degree of success. Okay, And the reason I like those things is because they, you know, while they're maybe thrilling to read and you sort of get excited about them, is they... Affirm for me that uh, uh, that if you put your mind to something and and have the both the persistence and the patience uh, and the resilience to stick with it, that you'll move the needle. You may not get all the way, but you'll move the needle. And and uh, uh, sort of like the the quote that says, you know, at first you th- think it's impossible, and then if you continue to work on it, you Think it's improbable, and when you summon the will, um, it, it becomes inevitable. And Christopher Christopher Reeve said that, um, not being Superman, but actually trying to learn to walk after he uh, uh, had a cord section that made him a paraplegic, and he actually learned how to walk again before he uh, passed away. But the idea of summoning the will it becomes inevitable is kind of the thing that I when I do reading outside of business reading. That's what captures my interest is to see how did some thing, person, community, organizations, summon the will overcome. to overcome, to be successful. And in many cases, the successor was helping others. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: So, you know, I, I think because we've talked so much over the years, I, I know uh, how you feel about your parents and uh, what an influence they were in your life. If you had to identify some uh, others, maybe people you don't know, but who are role models or uh, uh, mentors from afar that you would identify as people who are influential in your life and building you into who you are and your value system and work ethic, et cetera, are there any people in history that stand out that uh, uh, are people like that?
1: Well, I I would immediately go... um... I think uh, uh, to the Kennedys, in part because you know in the sixties um, they were the you know in 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 American leadership, I was at that you know teenage level, I was sixteen, I guess in in the sixties, turned six and I liked that uh, that idealism. What I didn't know then, and I certainly look back now is that they obviously came out of extreme privilege. Um, but their ideology of a different type of, of, of America is something that, you know, in their, their work ethic and then as that family went through tragedy after tragedy after shortcoming after tragedy and continued to persevere around a set of ideals. So I never – I met Robert Kennedy when I was a student at Fresno on his fateful uh, journey through California that led to his death here in Los Angeles Uh, He was on the trail and he came to the campus. I didn't meet him personally, but I was, you know, 50 feet away from him. Back in those days, you could do that stuff. Um, So I think that's one sort of public figure. Um, I've admired um, uh, uh, Dianne Feinstein. for her resilience and some of her, you know, she was a progressive before that word was ever used in politics, but also principled about trying to make things right, whether it was for people or for the um, environment or for uh, fairness and equity in society. Um, uh, Martin Luther King uh, is somebody who's influenced me in, in part because I've uh, studied him a little bit when I, in my leadership roles, but also have had uh, met his, his son who came to our campus, one of the campuses I was president of, and spent some time talking about what it was really like to be a kid in that family. And uh, my former dean of medicine at UCR, uh, his dad uh, was a president in a college back east and invited him in the sixties to come to the campus, which was very controversial. And he shared with me sort of the personal notes that happened there, but there was somebody who had a value and a principle and a commitment and a resilience uh, to try and change society for the better. And um, it's it's that level of high, they tend to be in the political world because I guess those are the ones that you see most frequently and c- quite frankly, when done well, can influence things positively, and when done not well, can influence things negatively.
0: Yeah, uh, my first hero is RFK. Uh, my first memory of any uh, anything having to do with politics is the hope that we had uh, that year uh, before California, before um, the Ambassador Hotel. Yeah, I was six. Years old. Oh my. And uh, uh it's the first presidential election I remember. I'm too I'm too young to remember JFK. I was in uh I wasn't in the country yet when J F K was shot, but RFK influenced me mightily and has if you read his speeches and mm-hmm. the approach and then he always makes me think of Lincoln, uh, because he is um you know, that was RFK's uh,
1: Well Lincoln was North before stuff. my time, but was he a good guy? Yeah, he yeah. was a really yeah, good
0: <laughs> guy. And then I'll tell you one which I always surprised myself. on was, I, I, uh, <clears throat> when I was about 16, I read, uh, Malcolm X's autobiography mm. and he has always, uh, uh, captivated me as, and now he, he's be, uh, he, it kind of pisses me off because he become mainstream and he was by no means in any yeah. way, shape or form yeah. mainstream, but he's another person. I have re- gone back and read that autobiography a couple of times. It's quite powerful. Yeah.
1: And finally, I would say in in terms of the issue around – so those are – for me, those names are ideological names and sort of amazing impact names. And and, uh, so just to differentiate our ages, I was a sophomore in high school in uh, Pleasant Hill High School uh, in PE class in my gray sweatshirt and gray sweatpants. And we were doing calisthenics in the gym when the principal came on the air – and said, you know, the president of the United States has been assassinated in Dallas, and so you know, it's one of those moments that freeze. And, um, um uh, but but I've also been inspired uh, on the work ethic side and the focus side. Uh, and focus is really important um, in the folks I've been engaged with in, in science. Um, you know, my my graduate mentor at, at, at Berkeley, George Brooks, who's still there, is a faculty member. And my postdoc advisor, John Faulkner. I mean, uh, my undergraduate teachers, faculty at Fresno uh, uh, and at, at East Bay, you know, they, they had a, a sense of a singular focus. It may not have been leading the free world. <laughs> But it was focusing on uh, and testing a hypothesis and staying on the task until you could get enough information to make a decision. And and, and those are long nights, overnights, um, with deadlines. You know how they focus your mind, and so the combination of ideology and recognizing that there's a a day to day approach of focus and hard work uh, and sacrifice. Uh, both personal and, and at times families and friends around you that you en- enable you to actually have those big successes?
0: Yeah, well, I, I remember I was here, I'd been here for a year, and uh, my mentor, uh, uh, the person that taught me how to be a lawyer, taught me so much about uh, integrity and approach and everything else uh, passed away. And uh, I had to come in and tell you that I couldn't go do something because I had to go to his funeral. And I will tell you, Tim, that was when uh, the way you reacted to that and the way um, you understood that, uh, actually, I transferred all of those feelings to you. I mean, I want you to know that that was really an impactful and important moment in um, our relationship and in my life. It was really so you have that effect on people.
1: So, I think it's when an when attorney meets biologist. Yeah. <laughs> we most, can
0: actually connect.
1: We should write a book on that. That's when an right. attorney meets biologists, biologist, what is it? Well, I know
0: name? we're, 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 I don't want to over, uh, overspend our time, but I, I wanted to end with a question uh, that I think may, I don't know if it'll catch you off guard or not, but, um, you know, we've known each other for seven years now. I've watched Logan, your, your youngest son, grow up, uh, and up and up and up and up, and he is now taller than you. Mm-hmm. I definitely know he's stronger than you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he might even be getting to be smarter than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's studying he, world history right now. you. So he he's tell still in high school. Uh, and he has his whole life ahead of him. Uh, and so what are your hopes and dreams and aspirations for for Logan and for the world, for the life in California and the nation in the world? Uh, for him to grow up in and, and, uh, where you want us to be, uh, this place to be, how do we leave this place better for Logan?
1: Well, you know, Logan is going to be, uh, is and will continue to be strong and resilient and kind and thoughtful, um, uh, and aspirational. I, I know his aspirations because, once many years ago, we were on a road trip uh, going through um, uh, a, a national park, and uh, uh, he wanted to get a memento, and we couldn't find a parking lot close to the store by the lodge. So I just let him out, gave him twenty bucks, and said, "Well, we'll get something, you know, it was a t-shirt or whatever." And uh, he came back, and he had a had a, a little caricature of a uh, of a you know four inch human sort of fisherman guy holding a fish that was bigger than the character and had a little sign that says, think big. And that, that is up above his desk at home today. So uh, I just hope he develops all of the cylinders, which he seems to be doing, so he can take on things that makes him happy, makes him productive, and, and allows him to give to others that are both close and far away from him. But I think we have a responsibility to try and um, heal the fractures in society. And you know, there's always been since the beginning of time things that pull societies apart. They can be religious, they can be economic, they can be, you know, environmental in the sense of you know the uh, uh, wind, dust storms, and floods and things. It can be political, social, economic. I mean, there's a variety of factors that pull apart like a centrifuge and when you think about it there are very few factors that actually pull a, a large segment of society back together and i think that's the role of a university some might say well that's what religion does but religion brings back people that are more homogeneous you know you're you may be catholic or buddhist or hindu or whatever the particular religious faith baptist whatever the faith might be but Universities actually are this uh, centripetal force to bring things back together, uh, so that society isn't as fractured. Doesn't mean there won't be differences. In fact, differences actually, in the biological world, biodiversity allows societies to succeed, uh, uh, communities to succeed over time.
0: It's the richness and spiciness of life.
1: It is, but but when it becomes so polarized as it has been in the past and it is currently and. Is you know there has to be a force that says, look, enough enough of pulling apart. Let's pull back together. Respect and recognize the spices of life, the differences, but also uh, recognize that there's much more in common that binds us uh, as members of this planet mm-hmm. and our responsibility to each other, but to the planet herself. Um, that's what I actually hope we can can move the pendulum back in that direction. So when Logan finishes at uh, Cal State Fullerton with his bachelor's degree or wherever he decides to go. And um, win
0: the NC2As
1: in water polo. and Yeah, and he's the captain. Yes. Uh, and I'm the coach. <laughs> 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 okay, fantasy. Is this a, a podcast? That, um, that the world is ready for the next level of leaders, um, not by title but by what they do to make this planet sustainable for the long run. You know, there's obviously things to do with – Around climate and all the sustainable aspects of society, but there's also things to do within the sustainability of the fabric we know as society. And I worry about that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot, uh, a lot to do. We can't lose. We can't lose uh, sense or touch with. We're in good shape as well. Uh, the CSU is in good shape. We're doing well. The state, you know, we we're we still in the most diverse. Uh, Southern California in the most diverse state and in the, in, in the most diverse country uh, with the greatest opportunity in pretty much the world, but things could still be a heck of a, heck of a lot better.
1: Well, gentlemen, I think I speak for everyone in the room
0: and I and probably everyone listening on this podcast that I could go on listening to the two of you talk for hours. I know both of you have uh, calendars to attend to. Chancellor White,
1: thank you very much for joining us on Fram and Friends. It's, it's truly been a gift. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. You bet. Thank you for listening to Fram and
0: Friends, a collaboration between Titan Radio and Cal State Fullerton. For more episodes like the one you just heard, visit titanradio.org.